Hey, Bob. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks so much for inviting me. This is going to be a hoot. A hootenanny, as they call yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, I've been really looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to hooting and hollering and slapping my balls on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Like every week. (laughs) How I keep up my my rage against the gamers (laughs) is I just punch myself in the genitals. Get yourself good and mad for brunch. Hell yeah. (laughs) Oh man, that's a great that's a great autobiography title. Getting mad for brunch. <laughs> How's everybody doing today? Sleepy. Yeah, I'm doing doing pretty good. My uh, dipshit neighbor doesn't seem to be up to any antics. So. <laughs> oh, have you got one of those? Uh, yeah. Uh, the 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 place where I'm crashing while I track down a new home, mm. and or just wait for the old home to open up. Uh, there's a guy here who fucking hates my cousin for. Uh, reasons that are only really known to dipshits <laughs> and whenever he's just like out and he's drinking and i would not be surprised if there's some john mcafee tear drugs involved he just blasts his butt rock while he works on whatever shitty muscle car <laughs> and oh my and, God. and literally just screams slurs uh, oh, like if you if you've heard a gay slur, he's screamed it at at us. Um, and uh, let me tell you, it's something to behold. Uh, he, my cousin's not here right now, so I don't think he's particularly motivated. But when my cousin's outside, he fucking runs out and like a kid on Christmas to be a dipshit. So <laughs> dipshitness. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. That's really yeah. fucking weird. The, what I have been told, and I don't know, I'm just, I just live here, man. But what mm. I've been told is that he's trying to provoke my cousin into crossing property lines so he can call the cops on him, so he'll lose his job while he's in jail, so he can take the land uh, that we currently are on. Seems like, <laughs> seems like a pretty long and evil plan. So fiendish plot t- exactly so i couldn't tell you to me it just seems like he is just a dark and disturbed alcohol user <laughs> but well, uh we'll all pray for him to have his heart explode anyway hello everyone and welcome back to video games are the worst thing on earth i am your host alton with me as always is reese hey and <laughs> We have a special guest with us, Misanthro Bob. Hello, it's me. Oh, thanks so much for having me, you guys. I've really been enjoying video games are the worst thing on earth for the past couple of months. Thank you for your time and effort into our special Thanksgiving spooktacular episode. Oh, yeah. We didn't really have time around Halloween to record a spooky games uh, podcast. And you know what's a lot scarier than Halloween? Thanksgiving. The holiday dedicated to American genocide and listening <laughs> to your family say the N-word at the dinner table. <laughs> Reese isn't even exaggerating. Apparently he heard that he heard that the last Thanksgiving he was at. That is 100% true, and I have not returned Ooh, to, to that family dinner table experience because, uh, you know, who needs that? But uh, I know... I know it's not everybody, but there are plenty of people I know with difficult families, and this is kind of the one time where they grit their teeth and look at them. I mean, personally, as an enlightened centrist, I think it's you're a terrible person for uh, for not for not associating with your own family anymore for them just disagreeing with you with slurs. I mean, haven't you read that uh, advice column from Gavin McInnes' friend, Andrew W.K., about how, like, you need to accept your racist dad? I mean, you know, we've got a lot to learn from <laughs> from a Proud Boy-adjacent character. I'm moved, and I cannot wait to be called the N-word by my father and my cousin to further world peace and the healing <laughs> of this world. <laughs> Well, I've just had come to a terrible realization about Andrew WK. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Did I did I 
did I pop the the Andrew WK hanging out with Gavin McInnes cherry? I'm so sorry. Oh no. Yep. I like uh, it, Andrew WK. I know, me too. You what you at fuck? one time you used to like Andrew WK. Yeah. Then you found out Gavin McGinnis kinda coached him on his whole stick, is what I understand. What the fuck? Yeah. Well now we have my turn on Andrew WK is now recorded on the pod. And send us uh, your clips of the turn when you realize Andy WK. It was <laughs> awful. That'd be a good supercut. I'm fucking mutuals with Andrew WK. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> send him a DM, man. Uh, get him to explain himself. <laughs> get him on the pod. We'll grill him with no research about it. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for getting off onto this Andrew WK tangent. I'm just like... No, no, my my fault. You're not the king of partying. You're the king of lies, Andrew. <laughs> I mean, in his defense, I think everybody was friends with Gavin McInnes back when he was at Vice. So I don't know exactly how deep this friendship runs, but um, apparently it's it's not looking too great. Yeah, I mean, there it is true that back when when Vice was kind of just like a cool counterculture thing. Them being horrifically racist and horrifically misogynist was like somehow charming and cool. So well, people thought it was irony back then, huh? I guess it wasn't really. <laughs> I sure love doing an irony. This is the this is the classic right wing grift. It's just like, haha! It is all memes. <laughs> I'm not actually Hitler. The truth was, I was Hitler all along. <laughs> Takes off his Donald Duck as a Nazi mask, <laughs> and it's just a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that fucking comic where he's just like, now we'll see who this Nazi really was. Ew, oh my god, it was a Nazi! The the fucking uh, Scooby-Doo comic. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Holy speaking shit. of spooks, we, we had a lot of issues with that in the goth scene here back when I used to, back when I used to run with that crowd where certain experimental acts or especially the neo-folk acts would like dress up in military garb and say that it was to break taboos but in actuality they were all just like far-right figures pretending not to be but like by by pretending to be it was it was something else that's exactly what they do they're like yeah they are look fascism is a postmodern movement and I know that the left gets a lot of accusations of postmodernism, which is complete bullshit because the majority of leftists are Marxists, which Marxist thought is like a materialist analysis, which is not postmodern. It's modernist. And I, I'm not going to get into it now, but fuck you, Andrew W.K., you broke my heart. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm glad that somebody's heart other than mine can be broken this Thanksgiving. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I think it's better It's better the co-host than the guest who's donating his time. Mm-hmm. All right, where were we before we got into this tangent? <laughs> we were going to get into uh, spookiness and spookiness in oh, video yes. games. Spooky. Spooky Thanksgiving. Spooky turkey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to me, the most interesting thing going on right now in terms of spookiness in video games is... The microtransactions. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Besides that is there's a kind of movement in indie games towards horror because the the limitations that you have as a kind of indie game dev Mm -hmm. really fit well uh with the horror genre and so like uh if you go on itch.io right now i think horror is always at the very top of their kind of keywords and you know there's some goofy ones in there um but I was kind of turned on to this by a Holly Green article that I will link in the notes here, um, where she played kind of five of these, she calls them retrograde indie horror titles. And they're really uh, kind of like interesting stripped down graphics um, and using that to kind of set this like dreadful mood. And they're 
just as compelling and in a way more compelling than a lot of uh, AAA horror games because in the bigger name horror games, the moment that the doll in the kid's bedroom looks stupid because you couldn't render it right, it's like the whole magic is broken. But you don't quite have that same same problem. Not just, um, you know, rendering issues. Um, also, you know, once technology goes far enough and things that once looked scary just look goofy, like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were were uh, terrified, myself included, of like early, early Resident Evil games. And now it's kind of hard to take them too seriously. So if you're working with like a purposefully out of time, lo-fi aesthetic, you can create something that's a little bit more timeless because it's already odd and uh inscrutable in a way absolutely and even at the time resident evil was so uh it was kind of like more like a b horror movie just because the the voice acting was so terrible oh boy Um, yeah so even like the in many ways it could have been scarier and they've they've gotten the scary resident evil a whole lot better because they managed to shore up some of those production value uh issues but also, it too, is in terms of mechanics, is like Resident Evil is mostly about inventory management and shooting. Um, and sometimes, you know, if that's not your bag, gameplay-wise, it's not going to necessarily be scary. It's just going to be frustrating. But kind of with these these uh, retrograde indie games, the mechanics are kind of more just focused towards the the experience of feeling dread rather than worrying, having to fit into any particular box. Hmm. And I kind of want to transition into talking about, to me, the the game that has, I think, gotten the most notice, at least that I have seen, is... Anatomy by Kitty Horror Show. Um, would mm. you agree? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, I agree. I don't know what this game is. I was told to play it before the pod, but I never did. Kitty Horror Show has really been making some waves over the past couple of years. Um, I saw, uh, I, I played a number of her Twine games maybe five years ago, and uh, seeing like the past one or two years, she's really uh sort of come into her own and creating these these deliberately lo-fi first person explorable spaces which some of them follow um a narrative and some don't they're always really abstract though and i think anatomy is probably like the most cohesive and and well put together of her works i remember seeing um a thing on Aaron's signal where they were talking about kitty horror show games and in one of them that's all about how uh, it's about a world and a program that doesn't want you to play it and the executables located like deep in like a complicated nest of files before you can even run it it's it's oh, it's awesome. working it's working on these kind of real interesting artistic levels um and i have i played a lot of twine horror games a while back and i could not pinpoint them so maybe i was playing some of kitty horror shows games that were really compelling um Mm. but anatomy to explain to alton and the viewers at large is a very kind of short very kind of i don't i don't even know if it has a a one-to-one analog but it's kind of ps1 ps2 era graphics and it's it's just you and you are walking around this super fucking creepy house looking for these tapes that you play and uh, that kind of explain uh, from like an anthropological, anthropological, I'm sorry, I mangled that, I'm a dumbass, uh, perspective of how a house is like a body. And then after you kind of find enough tapes, it just quits. And you're like, is that is that the game? And you start it up again, and you return to the same position in the house, but there's a, it's it's a lot glitchier, and mm. there's a lot darker, kind of like more messed up things going on. And you go through the same hunt, and it's a lot more difficult to navigate the house and to navigate and to to hear to hear the tapes. Then that's kind of the gameplay loop uh, of going through it. And I don't want to to spoil the end but it, it it creates this very effective feeling of dread because you know you're it's taking this spooky you know haunted house thing and it's and it's really leaning into this kind of glitchiness and you've played it that's right uh bob 
I have. I have indeed. Um, I'm I'm very fond of this one. Um, I'm very fond of any horror game that does that sort of, we're going to give you a space that is ostensibly, I like ostensibly a safe space. I mean, this obviously isn't, but it's still like, an everyday location it's it's a family home that is being more and more corrupted throughout your numerous playthroughs and crashes through it with these these tapes that get more and more menacing narration so you're having this space that you're inhabiting just betray you and turn on you um i was playing through this with a friend um a little while ago um my friend my friend is trans kitty horror show is trans um and my my friend were they playing as the house well, you played as the person. <laughs> yeah, we did the we did the co op run. Nice. <laughs> um, my friend noticed that her interpretation was that this game could be read as a metaphor for um for for gender dysphoria and having having the body that you inhabit turn against you. Um, and I'm wondering if there's anything to that. But I mean, I guess that's just one person's interpretation and not necessarily kitty horror shows in 10 but i i found it interesting that was her read i don't think that that's outside the realm of possibility because even if it's not specifically about that it's about what is supposed to be this safe space you know that's culturally presented as a very as, as a place where you're supposed to feel comfortable feeling mm. incredibly alien and there being like a real sense of betrayal throughout mm. the whole thing as well and like my personal interpretation was more like we present these these homes as someplace comfortable but that's where the majority of horror in our lives we have to deal with it i like mean that the horror of farting and not knowing whether or not it was a shit or not that i mean t- to me, that that is I actually <laughs> find that to be a very comforting experience in the home. Uh, it's when I'm out in public, and <laughs> and I'm like, man, am I going to just sit here uh, for the last hour of Infinity War, uh, not knowing, or am I just going to watch it? And I watched it. <laughs> I mean, like that's that that's not a true story. <laughs> <laughs> The, the idea of of being able to afford a home is is very um, alien and strange to me at the moment. That's a good yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. I think that a stories like this involving the home might almost work better uh, in the time before the economic collapse of two thousand and eight, because mm. you know I, I I get what they're doing with the analogy of like the body and the home. And it does seem like it could work for a multitude of things, ranging from, like, disability to dysphoria. Mm. Uh, But, you know, there is also the factor that, like, millennials don't have homes. Mm. They just live in, like, rent-a-shoe-box. I'm going to spoil the the game now, if you you skip forward a bit, if you don't want it spoiled. But anyways, I think the, the game actually plays well into what you're talking about, Alton. Because you find out it's the house that's kind of come alive and feels betrayal that nobody lives in it anymore. So it kind of fits in with this kind of like economic despair of like nobody's even in homes anymore. And we have this kind of like this ruin Mm. that we've left that, you know, was supposed to be were places where people are supposed to be happy and comfortable and safe, etc. Well, I don't know. Fuck you, house. You're too goddamn expensive. <laughs> Stupid fucking house. That's right. I just think about like when I li- when I was a teenager and I lived with with my dad and his wife out in in suburban Kansas and just how miserable everybody was in their in their suburban home and uh you know all the houses looked the same and everybody was complaining about the state of each other's yards and it just seemed like, you know, a very insular world that you can get trapped in and have have your own space and stew in your misery. I don't know. There's a lot of readings here. The most aggrieved people in America right now, anyways, are boomers who have their retirement uh, set and you know probably have a home and you still have to find boogeymen in every last little nook and cranny. So I think oh, yeah. that 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 absolutely reads. But yeah, it's a great game. Uh, you should check it out. Um, I think the the virtue of a lot of these itch.io horror games is that they're short and they're mm-hmm. very 
super compelling experiences. Like you could go play through anatomy, I don't know, in maybe thirty, forty minutes tops. Mm. And uh I was playing another one um that I got off Holly Green's list that I think is really uh, another great example of a game that kind of uses that that aesthetic really well called Faith, where Yeah. You're it's like an MS DOS type uh experience and you know you it's all all of the sprites are very rudimentary moonlight sonata is like beep booping very gently and then like just occasionally like a creature will come barreling at you screeching and you have to hold up a cross in time which interestingly enough is the experience of being on uh reese's front lawn (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when his neighbor is around. This is 100% true. Uh, <laughs> but they have, they break the MS-DOS aesthetic like in one moment where they just do this like really complicated like rotoscoping animation and the unsettling nature of it is just absolutely terrifying and easily one of the, the scariest moments uh, I've had in games this year or in the past couple years. I played this one at your recommendation. I wasn't sure if it was going to affect me. I heard about it a little while ago, and I ended up passing it up. Was it going to spook your boop? <laughs> I um, I wasn't too sure about the aesthetic and the idea of, of religious horror. I mean, this is very much in the vein of The Exorcist. The most horrifying religious experience is sitting through an hour-long sermon <laughs> just wishing you were anywhere else. Uh, but my, I went to, to my girlfriend's sister's wedding, and they had a full mass. And that was long. <laughs> Nowadays, I would just show up drunk to church already and say, yeah, I've already done it. <laughs> I've already had plenty of the body of Christ. That's what I show up to churches that I've never been to before that have not invited me. Just, just wasted letting just, them know. Just coming in there with a bottle of red wine and a, a loaf of bread and just being like, I'm already communed up. Let's do this. You got to make yourself known in your community. That's the thing. <laughs> exactly. But like things like The Exorcist never really frightened me. And, I, and I'm wondering if that's, I don't know, like I was raised in an ag- agnostic family and I found that like, Movies like The Exorcist are like it's it's a horror movie for the for the Catholic family, but um, I thought Faith did some really really neat things with its limitations and its setting and its its multiple endings as well. Um, it's it's super glitchy too, and I I really like I really like glitches. That seems to be like a, a, an overall theme of this mm. kind of retrograde horror is the embracing of glitches as uh, part of the aesthetic, which is something that gamers have been doing in general is like, you know, they delight in what Bethesda bugs they're going to experience, um, <laughs> uh, et cetera. And I just have these artistic games just lean into that is, mm. I think, super compelling. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Alton, I know that you are not much of a of a horror games guy. Like what's your what's your thoughts on all this? Um, if any. Well, the house game looks alright. I might check that out. Uh but to me, I think that Faith actually looks a lot more interesting just from an artistic standpoint. Because I re- I I actually really like the aesthetic that they're going for with like the the 8-bit pixelated horror which transitions to like really intense rotoscoping um when you get mounched by a monster it's very cool yeah so i i mean i think that that looks that looks neat i don't know if i'll play it i might do watch a let's play of it because i am a scared mm-hmm. little baby but i i enjoy the aesthetic of horror games i don't necessarily enjoy playing them that's fair enough yeah that's absolutely understandable i i i definitely playing through a, a couple of these and uh, i played a game called from next door too it's just like you know after a certain point too it it, it builds up where the when i was playing through anatomy again i was like oh well you know it's it's not so bad and by the time i was playing through from next door i was like I'd experienced so many of these these moments, I was just like freaked out at every little thing. Mm-hmm. So I can understand that. The thing that in horror which I find frustrating 
and is of course integral to like part of the horror is the instances where you're basically trapped and you have to in some way escape but of course you're under a lot of pressure and they don't sometimes they don't necessarily make it easy an easy segment of the game and so then that's sort of like the transition from horror to frustration and that uh-huh. was sort of like my experience mm-hmm. with fuck what was it called the horror game every fucking person played that had like amne- amnesia yeah um, amnesia the dark descent that was sort of like my issue with that game in that mm. it is it is spooky it is a horror game but in reality what you were doing was mostly just running away from things mm-hmm. um and you know basically <laughs> what would happen would be i'd get chased around by a monster um and it would be very scary and i wouldn't like it and then you know eventually you get caught and you die and then if that happens enough the monster just disappears so it's like this is more frustrating than like scary like after a while and i think that that's something that i i wish more games would avoid is just the being chased by spooky scary monsters and doing something more unsettling Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think there's something to be said for like sort of slow burn horror games that don't necessarily include like hostile encounters that have um, like game over states. And, you know, Anatomy achieves that very well. But I think of Kojima Snatcher, um, which isn't explicitly a horror game, but um, has some very tense moments of investigating a uh, a spooky old hospital just in in, in adventure game format. Um, and although there's not a lose state, you're still you're exploring this creepy locale and trying to figure out this mystery. And uh, a lot of like the the very popular horror games, they really trade on the either the the combat or the running away from creatures. And there's definitely a space to be filled with titles that are just more concerned with creating an oppressive atmosphere for you to experience absolutely i think alton uh you kind of hit the nail on the head with amnesia is that that's a game that i like a lot but i also Mm. feel what you're saying 100 percent, and i think that's true of like i remember playing outlast which kind of has similar mechanics but it's it's that for these games that we're talking about, their shortness like really works to the its advantage, because mm. if there is a loose state like in Faith, it's not that big of a deal, or it's just a kind of you maybe you can have a loose state like at the very end after you the dread has built up and there's just that one moment of running or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than amnesia, like when the game goes on and on and on, at a certain point you can't maintain that tension on that same level because it's it, it, it's a very difficult balance to achieve. And I think that with a lot of people, um, I didn't play it, but watching Alex play and reading a lot of reviews, uh, the, the sequel to Amnesia, like totally dropped the ball there because they weren't able to introduce anything new and interesting. It was just kind of more of that. But since you'd already gone through the first Amnesia, it just didn't compel at all. And just nobody even really engaged with it. It's, so it's I, actually pretty different that that second game um it's much more of a sort of exploratory atmospheric kind of game the the uh pursuit segments they're pretty few and far between if i remember correctly there's certainly less uh less running away um than there was in in that first game i missed which what, what we were talking about are we talking about machine for pigs oh yeah yes machine for oinkies machine for cops <laughs> The game that Jeff Gersman says sounds like a Trent Reznor album. I would agree with that. <laughs> Jeff Indeed. Gersman, astute as always. So when it comes to like the mechanics of horror games, I think what introduces a level of frustration is the the attempt to include like the game portion of it, mm-hmm. where uh, the whole point of like a horror game is to sort of put you in this position of powerlessness and um in terms of gameplay mechanics that translates into like survival horror where you're constantly put on edge by the lack of resources in order to fight these creatures 
or like in the case of amnesia where you can't fight them at all you just have to run away but they they also include mechanics like your sanity goes down if you look at them too long and then you have to try and keep like your sanity meter up you know what i mean yeah and it's like there's this conflict between what is enjoyable as a game and what is good for horror to some extent I think when it just devolves into like managing meters and managing your inventory, um, mm-hmm. that kind of detracts from the mood because that's just like a numbers game. Mm-hmm. And that's where, where a lot of uh, horror games, I think, fall kind of flat for me because like I don't mm-hmm. enjoy having to manage that meter in addition to like my horror experience mm. because I mean, I find that very, very stressful and I don't play games to be stressed. Even though I might not necessarily mind being scared, I don't enjoy stress. What comes to mind when you bring that stuff up um, is Five Nights at Freddy's. Yeah, I was oh thinking boy. about that while I was saying, I was like, yeah, that fucking, that fucking energy meter that you got. <laughs> you need fucking energy to close some doors? Moron. Like, they should just be closed all the time. Why do you yeah, have. Those what, games just this, seem like a nightmare to me. This contrivance. Where you have to have power to close the door. Where it's just like, what? It's, it's kind of engaging at first until like you, you've been munched on by the robots a couple times. And well, then it's go, just like... Right in your face. Exactly. And then like... Over the course of like six games? <laughs> I, I, I can't even get through the first game. Um, I haven't played the other ones. Yeah. But like... Going, getting halfway through it, you're like, I, I agree with you. It's just like, this isn't fun anymore. I'm not getting the experience that I want on it anymore. If I wanted to manage meters, I could just get a straight managing meters game, or I could go experience something spooky. I'm not mm. getting either what uh, either of what I want here. You know, one thing about horror games that I think they could really improve on, especially the games where there is like a fail state where you die, is that a lot of horror games, they don't really have interesting deaths. Like, compare something like Amnesia the Dark Descent to even something like fucking King's Quest. King's Quest has better, more interesting fail states than fucking Amnesia the Dark Descent. For- forgetting to take that pie into the mountains. Hell yeah. If you get to pay take a pie in the mountains, you get punched off a cliff by a yeti. That's way Hell more yeah. cool. Like, fucking around with a bear, get punched by a bear. Watch out, Graham. It's a poisonous snake. <laughs> get bit by a poisonous snake, get turned into a frog. Like, come on. Picking up that spinach dip and forgetting to throw it away and then Leisure Suit Larry eats it and gets salmonella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's, I mean, yeah, exactly. Like, old Sierra games, and I think this is something that more horror games could do, is that, like, if you're going to have a fail state in your game, make it, like, interesting. Mm. Make it something that the player actually looks forward to, to some extent, because otherwise it might just get frustrating. I'm not wholly unconvinced that a lot of those Sierra deaths were there just to sell hint books, but... Um, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, as long as it's none of that, like, I, you didn't pick up an item on the very first screen and you can't go back and now it's the end of the game and you're done. Um, I'm all for, um, more, uh, bespoke and interesting deaths. Talking about the game I just finished right before we started recording, uh, From Next Door, which is like a Game Boy aesthetic. I want to hear about this because I only got to play a little bit of it before we started it's kind of in that same, very much cribbed from uh, from Ito mangas, and it's all about the mood and the pacing of of it in that buildup of dread. And you, you know, you you experience, you know, there's a creepy window, and the window gets creepier throughout the game, and stuff happens. Oh, man, uh, I can't imagine a window getting creepier. They're already pretty spooky. <laughs> you can, uh, what? It's I, a wall, but you can see through it. What the fuck? Just imagine on the other side of that wall that you can see through, there's another window. Oh, sometimes fuck. it's open, sometimes it's closed, sometimes there's a flickering light. It's <laughs> fucking freaky, dude. Oh my god. But anyways, 
the deaths in that game all occur kind of at the end and there's like there's the one kind of moment where you can do a couple different things um that have been kind of like built up throughout the game and each each death or each event kind of has its own epilogue to it so it feels like a story and then you can kind of if you want to you can reload and see what the other uh, past could be was but it, to me that was a very compelling death experience because mm. each each one was meaningful and kind of had like an epilogue animation attached to it all right mm. cool that does sound good are we ready to move on to the what is what is this topic reese you have alien isolation I, and i have two games for uh, little children <laughs> I, well, I was yeah well, i was gonna wanted to move on to talking about spooky games that have been important and compelling or interesting to us rather than necessarily just talking about the the retrograde horror this new wave of indie games and horror in general let's talk about some games that we just straight up crank it to that we really love i love being spooked by a jumpstart fourth grade haunted island (laughs) <laughs> none of this sjw indie stuff just mm. this is back when games were games games were games. real shit educational games were educational can you help games. the vampire do math all right who wants who wants to go first i want i want to hear i want to hear your your pick alton my pick uh because i'm not really a horror person i mostly don't play horror games uh, the exceptions to this are when I don't really think that they're horror games. <laughs> it's a sort of how they've gotten around my I don't like horror game shield. And so these two games that I'm going to talk about aren't really horror. Uh, they basically just have the, ex- the aesthetics of like spookiness and monsters. And like I said before, that's what I enjoy about horror. It's not necessarily like the gameplay mechanics. So, I guess, since I already mentioned it, I'll jump straight into Jumpstart 4th Grade Haunted Island. Which is a major departure for, like, the Jumpstart Adventure uh, series. Whereas, like, the previous ones were set in, like, uh, summer camp and a peaceful spring. Yeah, send the frogs over the pond, make a math. You know. (laughs) Uh, Jumpstart 4th Grade Adventure Haunted Island is, like honestly pretty fucking spooky like the whole aesthetic it goes for is really a hardcore spooky like super halloweeny aesthetic that is really fucking good that people should honestly check out because i still think that even though i don't think like the the gameplay holds up like at all because i mean it's edutainment and it's like i watched through somebody play through some of the game and i was like god these fucking minigames suck ass. I think there's something to really to be said as a kid, too, about stuff that's ugly. It's not even, like, spooky, necessarily. Just kind mm. of, like, joyfully gross and weird and ugly. Um, Like, feels like kids really connect with that stuff, especially as, you know, every kid's trying to fit in, etc. You know, there is the attraction to the more perfect things, but I don't know. It's, it seems to me... That your average kid is kind of connected to something that looks weird, seems weird, feels weird, and that kind of fits into that aesthetic. But it just has, like, this very interesting story where, essentially, the the normal teacher is sick, and the substitute teacher is a witch who fucking curses the entire class and changes them into horrific monsters. That you have to go and rescue. The future that the feminazis want. Hell yeah. We're going to change all your kids into Marxist monsters. (laughs) We're going to change all your kids into Marxist horny werewolves. That's why we need uh, students to start reporting on their teachers. Exactly. Perhaps with a handy app. When your teacher goes out to smoke weed and just puts on an episode of Chapo Trap House. (laughs) We have to know. The FBI has to know. Exactly. I uh, you make me think of the spooky game that I played as a kid. It wasn't like quite like that, like that, but it was called Super Solvers Midnight Rescue. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, with the, with the guy with the big hat, huh? It, exactly. And they're, they're yeah. like the robots patrolling the school, and you had to stop the mad scientist oh. by doing reading comprehension or division. And, uh, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a little silly, but there, there's something compelling about that safe spookiness and that kind of the spooky aesthetic without it being actual horror. They had that at my like after school computer class that I went to when I was like five or six because like my school didn't have any computers, but my mom wanted wanted to get me acquainted. I remember they I remember they had had super solvers and I was really enthralled by it, but I never really spent that much time with it. I just remember remember the guy with the big hat walking around. Bob, would you like to give us the next spooky game? You got spooky game in mind? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I, t- I didn't want to go too obscure, but um, once I heard your picks, Alton, I, I mm. feel like I had to. <laughs> um, <laughs> I- I'm going to recommend the game Hell Knight, which is it's super hard to find legally. It's a PS1 game. I'm sure you can find an ISO of it out there if you want to experience it. Nobody's making any money from old uh, out-of-print copies of this, so don't feel too bad. This is a this is an Atlas joint from, I think it's like 20 years old. Um, and I found this game really hard to talk about until Amnesia the Dark Descent came along. It's, uh, it's, it's an early 3D adventure survival horror game where it's, it's New Year's Eve in Tokyo, and you're trying to get the last subway train home but um your your train crashes because there's a creature on the tracks so you escape from this wrecked train with this um with this girl named naomi and you know you're going through the um through the uh subway tunnels and then getting into the sewers while this this creature that wrecked your train is is slowly pursuing you and you know, it's it's this first person corridor horror game where uh, it's, you know, it's hiding around corners trying to catch you and you're trying to evade it. But uh, once you get out of the sewers, it takes place in like this sort of alternate history where to minimize damage during World War Two, Japan built an entire alternate Tokyo under Tokyo in the sewers. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's. You know, it's it's a it's a bomb shelter city, but it's gone unused. So like all of these criminals and homeless people and ne'er do wells have moved into it. So you're spending your time like running around this giant subterranean city trying to avoid this creature, which at each stage of the game, it evolves and gets bigger and faster and starts chasing after you more relentlessly. But while you're doing that, you're like stopping into these settlements and you're meeting all of these really bizarre characters who you know you will do the standard adventure game tasks for them to to, you know to get keys from them or items that will help you along your way and they're all very they're all very strange there's like a guy who's obsessed with james brown who wants some headphones there's this guy he runs a he calls it a shop but it's not really a shop he's like he's like an item fetishist and if you don't know what to do with your items you can bring them to him and he'll look at them under a microscope and he'll be like oh that's good yeah this is what this would be used for and it's just got this this great sense of place of bringing this tokyo full of outcasts to life and it it just it really entices me to this day. It stuck with me over the past, like, I think I must have gotten it about 17 years ago when I was on my horror game kick. And it's, it's you know, it's it's a shame that it's gone so unrecognized, but it's it's super weird. What was the name of the game again? Uh, Hell Knight. Hell Knight. Yeah. The Japanese name is Dark Messiah. It got a really limited release in the UK, but nowhere else. Oh. So is it H- Hell Knight, like not the hell day or is it like hell night with a k uh it's like the opposite of day okay Okay. so not the beefy boys from doom no (laughs) it's it's uh it's new year's eve the ball is about to drop and you're gonna have a bad time (laughs) so this is the prequel to bioshock Is it focused kind of more on that chase feeling as you're going from task to task? Or is there like RPG stuff going on? Like, what's the genre here? Yeah, you you are running around these these corridors while this creature is sometimes chasing you, sometimes not. 
And you have these different partners that each have a different ability. Um, Naomi, your first partner, she's like kind of psychic. So like if you open the map, you can sometimes see where the creature is on the map due to her like latent psychic ability where other characters are slightly more seedy. Like you can partner with this serial killer who like sometimes he'll just want to go off and, and ice somebody and you can either hold him back or just let him let him go off. And it's pretty intense for its limited, limited verb set. But then like when you when you enter into these certain rooms or settlements, it's like a point and click adventure game where you're, you know, interacting with the interacting with the different characters. I will say that like only the first half of this game is good. I mean, it tries to go all Lovecraft in the second half and you end up teleported to an alien world and I think the star of this game is the the underground Tokyo full of all of its creeps. Once you're out of that and there's no there's no weird people to interact with, I think it really suffers a blow and it becomes quickly apparent that the um chase really isn't enough to keep this game going. Interesting. That does sound pretty cool. I might want to check that out and just watch like a let's play of it. Yeah, that seems like the ideal experience. As much as we support pirating here. Uh, <laughs> somebody at Hardcore Gaming 101 has written a, a little feature on it, which is probably worth a look okay. if you don't want to play it yourself. That would be pretty interesting. I've got actually two more games that I just wanted to mention offhand as just a recommendation. These are two point-and-click adventure games, which I found to be very interesting. Um, the first one is a game called The Cat Lady. Oh, which is not a particularly scary sounding name, but in general is actually a completely spooky as shit point and click adventure game that I never finished, but like I played an hour of and was very heartily spooked by. And I highly recommend people go and check that out. It's actually on sale on GOG for two dollars. Okay, you just 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 going to shout out the uh, the the Gamergate um, centric web shop, are you? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so make sure you you buy it from anywhere other than that place that has it on sale. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> buy it at full price someplace else. Also buy <laughs> I have no mouth and I must scream, which is less of a uh, in terms of horror is more like sci-fi body horror uh-huh. than it is like I guess a a more traditional kind of spooky horror. Well, you know, body horror, I think, is very interesting. Let me tell you, I uh, when I was 13 years old, um, I had dinner with my father and Harlan Ellison, and he is exactly the character Am, the, the malicious AI. He, he is extremely that in real life. Oh, wow. How the hell does, how does, the hell does a human being, how does that work? It's like 80 years of spite, I guess. Rest in peace, <laughs> sweet prince. That sounds like an intense dinner. He got really bad food poisoning afterwards for um, saying uh, inappropriate things to the waitress. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'll happen. Well, do you have any final final notes or thoughts? I would like to comment more on Hell Knight, but it sounds cool, but I, I since I don't know much about it. We probably need to move on. Reese, you have a spooky horror game for us, to, for our hungry little piglets to enjoy. Uh, I I picked the most big AAA basic bitch game, but I still think it's very good. I think it, in terms of what we were talking about before of the chase and that sort of aspect, it's the most successful horror game that does that kind of thing. And I'm talking about Alien Isolation, which, much like Hell Knight, is only, it kind of falls apart in this and a half. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the first half is your... You know, you arrive, it's very reminiscent of uh, the first movie. You arrive to this kind of dilapidated space station. A lot of stuff's powered down. Nobody is around. There's a lot of decay. And, like, as you go and you discover what is essentially Space Detroit, of where this <laughs> once successful, you know, thriving space station has been just fucked over by the uh, Wutani uh, Corporation. And, uh, you know, as is, as is in the movies, you know, kind of unleashed the alien uh, mm. onto them. It's a very well done kind of retro sci-fi feel. And 
you don't encounter the alien for a little while, and suddenly it just kind of plops down in front of you, and you're fucking off to the races. I own this. I haven't played it yet, but I really love how like all the computers are DOS. Yeah, it's and that's that's the whole that's the whole game is this very stripped down DOS aesthetic. You know, there's a lot of pulling levers and kind of plugging things in. Um, That's it has that Battlestar Galactica kind of retro feel, Mm. and it's to me the gameplay really really works because I think they did a great job realizing. Uh, the alien in that it does have that frustrating feeling of sometimes you don't you know it's it's a powerful creature and you sometimes have trouble getting by but you can use kind of you know you listen you wait in lockers etc it gives you a very large tool set to kind of sneak around the alien my favorite bit about the game is that there are survivors and you can just kind of make the moral choice of whether or not you want to send the alien after a couple of dudes who are just oh, trying God. to survive uh, <laughs> so you can get by the situation uh, and survive. And I, I don't know. And, and you're just doing basic things. You're just like, you got to go get batteries from uh, engineering. And then you got to turn on this machine so you can open this machine so you can send a signal. It's very basic tasks. And you're just trying to to get past. And, you know, we've kind of gone over a lot of the stuff already that, that makes that kind of thing work. But I think the the alien creature, its, it's successful design makes it more interesting. Because it's not unfair, but it is powerful. And uh, I was reading some article where they were talking about the way that they eventually made it work. Is that they had the alien is like two different... AI bodies and like Hmm. one of them can like hear you and sense you. And then they have a, it communicates to the second AI head parts of that information. So it never gets the whole picture, but it it, it makes it feel like it's a fair rubber banding effect. It can't hear you every second of the time, but you're able to get around it. So I I highly recommend uh, you check it out. It's, it's usually $10 or so on sale. Um, They have a really cool, DLC mode where they just kind of strip the story out and it's just mm. how how successful you can be navigating the alien and dealing with it and you know you rack up points I think it's a fun novel way of doing something like that so I don't know um, and, and just uh, one other thing that I think is really successful is its presentation on feeling like mm. you're in a space station just because you know they, they you can kind of see the, the stars out around you and you can see the different parts of the station and there's one part of the game where you are trapped in something that gets broken off from the space station, and you can kind of watch the space station drift away as you're spinning horrifically, and the alien's in there with you. It's fucked up and awesome. And they don't stick to landing um, because it becomes about a whole bunch of other stuff I won't spoil. But that first mm. half to two-thirds when you're just exploring space Detroit and dealing with the alien, I I highly recommend. Alien is just so iconic as a horror movie, and it has always baffled me that, you know, up until Isolation's release, like, all of the games based on the Alien franchise were really that, like, James Cameron and beyond, oorah, let's let's have a big power fantasy against um, some... uh, Giger character design. So um, I was really thrilled to see that they actually went for something that would capture that mood of the first film. Because it's still really spooky today. It's a very spooky movie. I like <laughs> the part where you can see it's a dude in a suit. <laughs> I like the kitty cat who scares you. <laughs> Poor the Jones. fandom for Alien is very much like that too. Or not the fandom, I should say, but rather the the extended the comic books and the other stuff that that, that comes after that is a whole lot more. Uh, I like the sequel slash prequel where he gets the goop and he eat the goop and the goop make a monster. I'm talking about um, Prometheus. Not Venom then. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's my... That's my spiel about Alien Isolation. That's just it, it. To me, it's probably the most successful horror experience that managed to make it past. I don't know, an hour or two. It sounds mm-hmm. like a game. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, we Good segue. 
Yeah, we've got <laughs> we've got uh, one more thing to cover. Um, we're already we're a little bit over time, um, so let's go into our last segment where we talk about spooky moments and non-spooky games. So, Reese, you had uh, World of Warcraft Underrot Dungeon. Uh, yeah, it's not a big thing, but it's in in World of Warcraft. They had there's this like corruption that's coming up out of the troll kingdom or you know whatever if you like you give a shit um but it it it's a really creepy well done world and you see the the spores kind of floating in front of your face and you can see how that's corrupted everything and you're just like the successful art design you're just like i don't i don't want to be here i don't want my <laughs> elf breathing this shit in let's let's hearth out the other thing I want to mention for spooky horror moments in games is every time I've made it to the top ten in Player Unknown's Battleground, mm-hmm. where it becomes I am basically a, a predator movie where I'm hunted down and murdered <laughs> horribly because I'm bad at video games. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> PUBG is it's one of those games that just has so much, it's such a diversity of experiences. It seems tense. I really want to try it. If you want to try it, do Fortnite because it's free. Yeah, I've played Fortnite. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of hiding in the toilet, but I hear that's the same in both of those games. They should make PUBG, but spooky. Somebody is, aren't they? And they're like a like a Dark Souls like battle royale game in in development at the moment. <laughs> I lied. I don't care about. I don't want them to make PUBG, but spooky. There are enough PUBGs in the world. There's already PUBG <laughs> and Fortnite, and I think that every other game is basically like, we can do that too. Then they're like, oh, wait, no, we can't. Oh, God, we have no money. Ah, we're dying. We're, we're dead. That's every other game. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a spooky narrative in itself. It's very spooky when AAA publishers jump on a bandwagon only to realize that bandwagon's full of shit, yo. But anyway... Bob, can you think of anything? I'll let you think of something while I say my piece. So I would say the most quintessentially spooky-ass game that scared me as a child, um, which was not really intended to be a spooky game, uh, at least for the most part, was a, a, an RPG called Lands of Lore 3, which is basically a first-person exploratory RPG in a very similar vein to sort of a, a Morrowind with a lot less character interaction. But essentially, it, it is another game that I very much love for its aesthetics and art. Uh, because Even though nowadays it probably looks like a big old stinky poo. But it had these segments which very effectively scared the shit out of Tiny Alton. Like, for instance... In order to find the Thieves' Guild in that game, you had to search the sewers. And the sewers in this game were horrifying dark labyrinths, which were fucking filled to the brim with giant rats and ratmen who would try to tear you apart. And so, despite the fact that, like, thieves were totally my shit, and I absolutely love Uh, being a thief in most forms of game. It was very difficult for me to sort of force myself through that sewer to find the Thieves' Guild because, like I said, it was scary as shit. So it was a very interesting reward versus uh, a challenge dynamic where it's like if you get to the end, you get a special familiar that's a flying ferret that talks to you. Um, Nice. The ultimate thief. The ultimate thief. It's very cool. You can cool. go down tubes and <laughs> retrieve things. Exactly. He will. You can actually tell your familiar in this game to go find you items, and he'll go and find you like uh, venom sacks and daggers and shit that you can throw at people, <laughs> and like just pick up items for you. It's really fucking dope, honestly. And I'm I'm really shocked that nobody's used flying talking ferrets steal shit for you as like a fa- familiar in any other game because it's dope as hell hopefully we can plant the seed here at yeah this moment. exactly and i i love that game everyone should check out lands of lore 3 
my mom's friend sent us a copy of Lands of Lore One, and the scariest thing about it was that we couldn't get it to run on our computer. <laughs> All right, do you have a uh, a spooky moment in a non spooky game for us, Bob? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, like you know, we we touched on the top of this show about how like uh, a lot of these newer um, indie horror games use glitches as aesthetic, and I think glitches on their own are pretty creepy. Um, I also think there's like, a very dummy... spooky glitch in Lands of Lore <laughs> Three where the game crashes and you can't play it anymore. <laughs> nice. That that was the spookiest glitch of all back in like the early days of Windows, wasn't yeah, it? Pretty much. Actually, like. The spookiest was like configuring your sound blaster so the game would actually run. Mm-hmm. Or if you were, or if you were me, like you could only get Space Quest One VGA to run in Spanish with PC speaker. So, <laughs> scary stuff. <laughs> um, um, I also think like dummied out content and stuff that's just like left unfinished but shipped is really spooky. Um, RPG fan recently had a their Halloween feature on on spooky RPGs and. I, I wrote a couple of paragraphs on um, Saga Frontier for the PlayStation 1, which for all intents and purposes is not a very good game. And the thing about that director, Akatoshi Kawazu, is that all of his games get shunted out the door before they're finished. And this game in particular had, just like in the middle of this suburban town, you could go to a um, a bio lab where a bunch of scientists would just like they were just torturing creatures and then they would turn into monsters and attack you uh, to some kind of creepy music. But the thing is, like the whole story that that was supposed to, you know, be included with this bio lab was dummied out. So like they took out all the narrative, but they left the location. So it's just there for no reason. And you get no context for why this really messed up place is just in the middle of this little suburb and i find that really creepy that sounds terrifying let's wrap things up sounds good i guess i have to wrap things up yeah (laughs) (laughs) okay so thank you so much for coming on to the podcast uh bob where can people find you and your great online work Oh yeah, thank you, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'd love for you both to come on my show, Misanthroplay. Um, you can find me. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Misanthropob and links to my various podcasts and writing stuff from from Twitter. Can I plug my friend's show? Sure, I think you'd probably like it. Um, my friends do a uh, left wing um, British politics uh, comedy podcast called We Don't Talk About the Weather, um, which you can find if you search for that on Twitter. It's like you'll probably get the most out of it if you're in the UK, but mm-hmm. um, if you want two, uh, two salty lads uh, talking about how bad the politics are here and then sometimes talking about Diablo and Monster Hunter, um, mm-hmm. we don't talk about the weather is where to get that. That sounds dope. Sounds dope. I also, like, do they talk about our favorite absolute boy? Oh, hell yeah. Um, they're kind of mad at him at the moment because um, recently he gave a big press conference where he pledged to... You know, if he gets a big win, they'll have more cops on the street. And way to play to your base, right? Uh, we love uh, our cops. Cop, <laughs> cops, good. I see that he's taking Very a page. important. Taking a page from uh, Ocasio Cortez. We love uh, those cops. Big old copperinos. Big oink oink piggy piggy bacon time. I would also like to mention on a. On Bob's website, there's a great series, uh, horror series that you did. Um, oh, that thank you. That initially made me want to have you on the podcast because I uh, went through them. And I cannot pull it just this second, uh, so I don't remember what the, the series was called. Uh, but uh, you should comb through his, his website for that uh, if you're looking for more spooky game talk. Yeah, you can find my website through my Twitter. It was uh, the October Terror Story. I was trying to play a game for every day of October 2017. I failed miserably, but there's like a good 10 or so write-ups on there between me and my friend. So, Reese, where can people find you and your online contributions to the discourse? You can find me at uh, Twitter, at your very good bud. A very also, spooky website. Yes, it is the spookiest <laughs> website. It's full of Nazis. 
<laughs> I just got added to Twitter moments for an extremely inane comment about Quentin Tarantino. Mm. So now I have a, just a day full of people letting me know what they think unprompted about <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, which I love. It's great. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, my, my condolences. Or you can get added by some sort of uh, dipshit right-wing dragon scaly who thinks that Antifa are violent and has absolutely no evidence for that besides from that they break windows and shit. It's very cool. There should, there should be, someone should make a horror game that's, you know, like all these chase games that we've been talking about, but it's just the Antifa mob chasing Tucker Carlson <laughs> through, <laughs> through the corridors of Fox News. And calling him names. <laughs> the most violent thing of all. Yeah, hey, then- Tucker, nice bow tie. Ooh! Please don't insult my bow tie. I imagine that's if how they talks. catch up, they hold him down and they read him a poem, and then it's game over. <laughs> Hell yeah, that would be a new itchio idea. <laughs> well, where can we find you online, Alton? Uh, you can find me in the hell pit known as Twitter, where I'm currently getting added by an awful, shitty dragon at. 8Alton8, where you can also at me and give your support against this horrendous, dipshit centrist dragon. And you can also find me on YouTube.com the other hellspawn of the internet uh, at AltonPlays, where you can find the VOD of this podcast and other gaming gooferies that I haven't done in ages because it takes a long time to edit the pod. Do, doing Let's Plays aimed at children where you read passages from Jordan Peterson's book. Yeah, I know how YouTube is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I do Let's Plays where I, I I play in Skyrim and I pretend all the enemies are feminists. Ha ha. Get him, King. Hell yeah. We also have a very rational website. Mm-hmm. Videogamesaretheworst.pinecast.co where you can find all of our... Uh, us Previous owning episodes. the liberals with facts and logic. Exactly. And subscription feeds to uh, the various big uh, podcast websites. And you can also check us out on Twitter, where we announce the episodes and we just make embarrassing, terrible video game jokes at Vigatuo. And uh, you should uh, rate us and subscribe. That's it. Indeed. Do nothing else. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening again. Thank you, Bob, for coming on once again. And we will see you in the next episode. Bob is Good gone night. again. He's, just his ghost remains. Spooky. Spooky. He was a ghost the whole time. Oh, shit! <laughs> I'm getting fucking out of here! <laughs> Later, gang. Bye.